You're listening to Arsenal Pass, a flesh and blood podcast for players by players. And all about strategy, leveling up, and the latest news in the world of Wraith. Welcome to Arsenal Pass. You know, people talk about your last meal, right? What if mm. you had one last game of Flesh and Blood Class Constructed to play? What matchup would you choose to play? And what side of the matchup yeah. are you on? So, for everyone listening, Hayden did not prep me with this question and has asked me with it without any preparation. But um, yeah, it would be my uh, 10th round Indianapolis against David Rude, former Magic the Gathering Pro Tour champion, where I drop an Arclight Sentinel after sitting on it for most of the game. Knowing that uh, pulverize is his only way out, and he uh, he doesn't blink me. That'd be my last game of flesh and blood. Just a replay of a of one specific game. <laughs> I was more thinking maybe a particular matchup. Like in my head, I had like, yeah, I would I'd love to play one more Rhino versus Bravo, one more Viscerai versus Ultim. But that's a, that's C- certainly approach. certainly Kane over something. But that's just <laughs> I just it's so funny because as soon as you ask that question, I just go. Whoop right back to that scenario. I'm like, hmm, just where that blink doesn't hit the battlefield. Uh, no, that was a great match. It'd be Kano versus something. Kano is the deck that I, I truly enjoy playing in Flesh and Blood, to be honest. Should have played Worlds then. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I should have played Worlds so I could play against... Well, I couldn't have played against Prism, which would have been nice. What would I have paired into? Uh, at least I would have probably helped you guys out with your Five Icelander mirrors. <laughs> Five Icelander like that. Five, yeah. yeah. I'll take that over Prism any day of the week, to be honest, on Kano. <laughs> I think my win rate against Prism was better than my win rate against Icelander, PT1 versus Worlds. But yeah. Brendan, episode 85 of Arsenal Pass. Here we are, Dynasty and Constructed, part two. Last week, we covered four classes. We we ran a bit short on time, so we are going to basically jump straight into covering the last six classes. And there's a lot to discuss, I think, in Dynasty. We've, we've now seen one event happen with dynasty and class constructed and this weekend we've got battle hardened hong kong coming up and we do also have singapore battle hardened before the end of the year and then before we even get to the progress season we do have one more battle hardened uh so want to ask you though how was your week in flesh and blood have you been playing any flesh and blood is this downtime for brendan right now uh no it hasn't been downtime because we've been filming our video series for for legend story studios mm-hmm. Um, which was fun. There's a lot of a lot of sleeving to do, which is notor- notoriously just oh, man. That is a that is a task for me. Just the way my cards are, there there's a balance between, and this is I know that I'm sort of diverting here, but there's a balance between organized and too organized, and I think I fall into too organized where, yeah, it's just a pain in the butt to sleeve those decks. We played four decks, um, four cool decks. The budget, I actually enjoyed the budget matches the most. Me too. Maybe because, of, maybe because of the results, I don't know. But I, I, uh, I thought it was really cool to sort of branch out and play some classes I hadn't played in Blitz. Blitz is a Blitz is a format, particularly where I am a lot more narrow, right? In class constructed, pretty much played everything. Just that's how testing sort of works. But in Blitz, I tend to just play what I lo- I tend to have just played what I liked and what was powerful. So it was cool to really branch out and check out some of the new Dynasty cards. So it's actually been a lot of flesh and blood, to be honest. You and I have been recording a lot. We've been talking about it a lot. Um, so not a break, but when it comes to armories and you know, maybe thinking about like the next big professional event or something like that. Like, yeah, mentally I've been on a little bit of break, to be honest. Yeah, I feel the same. I expected to take the kind of four to next four to six weeks pretty pretty light. And uh, we were approached by LSS and that website to do some 
some gameplay videos for Blitz, effectively. We're heading to, I think skirmish season is happening post the ProQuest season. Uh, but, you know, there is this downtime and, and LSS are really keen to have some content with new Dynasty cards. And obviously there's class constructed events happening around the world over the next two, three months. So time to shine a bit of a spotlight on Blitz. And yeah, we got to play some stuff that we normally wouldn't play. So round one is up on the Fab TCG YouTube channel or over up on fabtcg.com. There's the article with our deck list there. There is a, also by the time this pod goes up, there is also a deck tech that both me and Brendan covering the decks that we played. And yeah, we played, I played Azalea, Brendan played Katsu in the first round and it was cool. I really enjoyed it. And the second, the second round is up now as well. I think by the time this pod drops about the same time, and that is, what are we playing round two, Brennan? You were on Icelander and I was on Dorinthia, a pretty cool Dorinthia build, dual, dual wielding Dorinthia. Yeah, the Icelander, the Icelander deck was, I, the Icelander deck does, this is a budget Icelander deck, so uh, budget. not, su- yeah, not surprisingly, the Icelander deck doesn't need too much support um, from L's and F's, so it was a, it was a pretty strong deck <laughs> that I ran into a Dorinthia deck there. But yeah, we won't spoil the result. Uh <laughs> Yeah, my, my last week in Flesh and Blood, I mean, similar to you, I think this has been a big part of the last week is playing these Blitz games, trying out the decks. I went and played an Armory this week, which was cool. I haven't played an Armory. I looked at my, you know, you can see your, what is it, like your fabtcg.com profile and you can see your events you've played. Yeah. And for me, it, it was literally like um, calling PT Nationals. I think I played one Armory event, Worlds the dev challenge and it was like armory event like that's my page and that's that's like four months i i have not played many in-person events and uh armory so it was really cool to get back to an armory last week and i'm hoping to play a couple more between the sort of the downtime period heading into spoiler we're about to talk it in the news section but pt1 sounds like it is in north america so if it is in north america brendan i will be at pt1 2023 i just have a funny anecdote about the whole professional players playing events or like armories and things like that so basically when i was casting the world championships the first match um we go to sort of this player profile and i, I think it was vietfam i could be wrong but you know he's like ranked whatever on elo like quite high and then you go to xp and it was like a very high xp i'm like this is this is what we're talking about right like the people that are at the top tables of flesh and blood you know they're playing all the time you're crewing xp nose to the grindstone and then the next the next profile is michael hamilton and the xp rank is like eighteen thousand five hundred and thirty four. like the like just hasn't played a single army and i was like uh well, yeah, it's just like, but um, yeah, I feel you. I've uh, I've I have I've been taking a break from armories, but I am going to play ProQuest season um pretty extensively. Yeah, I heard you said this to me the other day. I mean, it's a tighter ProQuest season, so I mean, let's just jump straight into the news because we are going to cover all these these facts. But uh, PT one is apparently going to be in twenty. Well, so twenty twenty three PT one has now been confirmed by LSS to be in North America. That's all we know right now, though. And the ProQuest season does run, uh, I actually just closed the tab like an idiot, but the, the ProQuest season does run, for, I think, from January 15th to the end of January. So it's a three-week a three period. I think it's, yeah, four, I want to say 14th, 21st, 28th, yeah. <clears throat> so those weekends is the ProQuest season. So a safe a safe bet is probably somewhere around March, April time we're going to see PT1 for 2023. If it's later, I'd be really surprised, <clears throat> but, mm. you know, it, it could happen. Uh, along with that as well, so ProQuest season, like you said, Brendan, you're going to be playing those ProQuests. You can go to fabtcg.com and find where these ProQuests are up. They should all be up now on the website. Stores, I think, have had to submit. They generally have to submit before the announcement happens of of the actual official announcement ProQuest season. There's always this weird thing where 
it comes up on the retailer page. Everyone knows about it, but it's not officially announced until all the stores lock in and, uh, you know, you get it actually up on the website. So that has happened now. You can go find those events. I'm planning to play at least one, probably two myself if I, you know, just get some games in and play. I want to play Class Constructed Dynasty, but we'll see how we feel when this gets to January. I'm also going to judge an event uh, this time around, which I'm looking forward to. So, yeah, should be good. <laughs> Other events coming up. So, like I said, we do a Battle Hard in Hong Kong this weekend. I don't know if there's any video coverage or anything for that i haven't heard or seen anything i have reached out to ask if there was uh another look at dynasty and class constructed and then singapore is happening december 10th another battle harden and then we have leeds and belgium i think the belgium battle harden is in antwerp happening in january the the uk and the belgium battle harden so a few more events as we head into this ProQuest season and then i'm sure by the time we get to it, it really sounded like from what I heard at Worlds, that we're going to get some form of OP announcements in the next couple of weeks, like early December. Man, I really, I really, really hope so, especially when it comes to callings and international callings at that. Like, uh, if there's another major calling um, in Asia, I would love to go, but I do need uh, at least, I, w- I would, I need more than two, two months notice. Uh, so I hope we get that announcement soon and I hope we get more, uh, a bit more notice than we have gotten in the past, to be honest. Yeah, I'm looking forward to getting you over this side of the world so we can. Do it on my turf, Brendan, as opposed to always in North America. I'll but. take you to the best restaurant in the world, which uh, is Pasture in New Zealand and Auckland. It's amazing. So you've said, but I'll take you to the best restaurant over here so we can trade. <laughs> do always want to shout out as well, middlefabtokens.com. We do have the Arsenal Pass Middlefab token that is up. It's that cool looking resource coin. Look, there's Brendan. He's got one right there for you. Uh, those are available on Middlefab tokens right now. Uh, I did bust mine out at the Armory this week. Does look very cool, especially under some lights. Big shout out to all the Arsenal Pass patrons as well. Brendan, I think we're so no commander cookout this week because we're going to get straight into Dynasty Review Part Two. If you do want to get your questions in, you can do ArsenalPassFab at gmail.com. Drop them in the YouTube comments. Let us know it's a commander cookout question. We do also take them in our Patreon Discord and on Twitter if you want to DM us. Uh, and you can, I mean, you could, you could send a postcard to Brendan if you want to. What if you want to do, Brendan? You want to? <laughs> I'm kidding. You could try. Then you could go with the the tried and true and just screaming at me at an in person event. Yeah, why not? Go for it. Not we're not one of those for a while though, so we'll have to wait. Let's uh let's get into the class that we didn't cover last week. Main topic of the pod: Dynasty and Constructed. This week we're covering Wizard, Guardians, Runeblades, Illusionists, Ninjas, and of course Assassin and Arachne. Wizard. We didn't get to talk about it last week, and you were just I just saw you just shaking in your chair waiting to get to Wizard. <laughs> so let's get straight into it and talk about uh. Let's just get, talk about Kano and CC. Why not? Just straight yeah. to put it straight into your veins, Brendan. What are your thoughts on the set for Kano and what cards are you looking at? Well, it feels like a Kano set, to be honest. doesn't really feel like a lot of these cards slot into the current Icelander archetype. Um, I noticed that the most when we played the Blitz decks, my Icelander deck, I just really, it was hard to find an excuse to play a new card from Dynasty. Uh, but as Kano, you see, you're a bit spoiled for choice, to be honest. And it does depend where you want to take the archetype. I think in the current sort of OTK and just like combo flexible arch- archetype, right? There's just kind of what our deck was at the uh, World Championships, right? It's a combo deck, but it's not 100% reliant on it. You did get some fantastic cards, right? You got a direct upgrade in Swell Tidings. This is basically Voltic Bolt with an on-hit trigger if it deals five or more damage, giving you that Ponder t- token, which is absolutely not nothing. You would have taken another Voltic Bolt, another two for five with no tech on it any day of the week it's a great card um on top of that <laughs> i know this isn't going to sound too exciting to all of you out there but these um these zero for ones zero for one at blue zero for two zero for three uh effectively just more zaps and wizard very very good it opens up potentially more archetypes and wizards such as like tempo and things like that 
basically a wizard is maybe blocking more, but then plays out like a zero for three to take a card from the hand, try to open up windows. It's it's really, really exciting. So you get that in both prog- prognosticate and sap. Um, I do wish, and I have said it before, that I that those were any target so that we could have a bit more interaction with uh Jermai. But nevertheless, those three cards for me are the big the big wins and the big standouts for Wizard. I actually I think they'd be too good to be honest with Sap. I think uh, sorry, with Surge. Surge is such a strong keyword, I think. Yes, you would have to change the keyword. Absolutely. Yeah, so you could have just yeah, exactly. I think I I do agree. I would have liked to maybe send another card that interacts with with dragons with with Dramai. The the cards we've seen. So you talked about Swell Tidings, obviously a Voltic Bolt sort of upgrade, basically at red. We do also have Aether Quickening. I think is a really interesting card. It's Scolding Rain, effectively with mm-hmm. the Surge mechanic on it, and yep. it gives Go Again. That card's really interesting to me as a way to give. A non-attack wizard card go again that isn't so we've seen attack and go again on wizard non-attack actions before but they're they're buff effects right this is pure damage we haven't really seen this i think this opens up a lot of avenues to how you potentially build kano not only that with with cards like talk about swell tidings you talked about these effective zap and uh what's the one from from uprising that does the same uh, thing aether dart aether dart yeah but that's any target you know you now have effectively you can play 12 red zero for threes in your wizard deck there's there's so many new avenues for how you could take your kano or you could tweak current builds by replacing or adding extra copies of effective cards aether quickening is really good and i did skip over that one because it it may not slot directly into the deck we like the combo deck but honestly that deck was playing scalding rain so uh, let me just paint the situation right yeah so well the more the more aggressive the format is the more um yeah the more you have to combo the less, the more incentivized you are to play Crucible of Eighth Wave instead of Waning Moon. But if you start running into Guardians that are running Oasis Respites and things like this, you might opt to play Waning Moon. And if you are playing Waning Moon, like Aether Quickening is a fantastic card because it's not unlikely that Scalding Rain Red would have made that deck, made a a slot in that deck. Um, And Scalding Rain Blue, absolutely uh, very viable. So this card's great with Waning Moon. And I think that that's like a a very powerful weapon for Kano that hasn't been completely explored yet. Although we did have it in our sideboard as sort of a, as an option to potentially play into things like old him. Yeah. The format ended up speeding up so much again, not even speeding up, but people started cutting cards like a waste of respite and heart of ice and things like that. So in in my list for worlds, I ended up cutting down to just the one scolding rain for lessons and lava target. And to be honest, I, I would just I probably would have just played zero. I think it's one of the cards that would have changed in, in that event in particular. But throw whatever you know about Kano out the window for a second in terms of the current builds. So the build that we played at Worlds, the build we played at PC1, just throw it out for a second. Aether Wildfire combo withstanding, always a powerful option. Mm-hmm. You can play that in any Kano build. You know, like you can stick that card in. You can now start looking at options, I think, where you could be playing 22, 24 blues potentially with a Kano deck with waning moon and playing more on your opponent's turn as well you know a higher hit red hit rate okay i I draw two blues in this hand i go i play off the top of my opponent's turn with a waning moon trigger or i don't see you know i don't see a a two blues in my hand i see you know one blue three reds block out with two cards play a more traditional there's so many different ways i think you can take this 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 kano now with these cards it's going to really open it up and that's we haven't even talked about cards like uh brainstorm of course and Stone. Yeah, for sure. I would say, like, for Kano, if you looked at Dynasty, it's you're kind of spoiled for choice in a lot of the new tools you get to work with. Um, and Dynasty is just a net positive set for Kano. It's really, really good. Well, I shouldn't say net, because it's positive for Kano in terms of the cards you get, 
but some of the cards that the other classes get could negatively affect Kano and particularly the combo Kano build because there has mm-hmm. been a lot of ward introduced as well as spell void, additional spell void founded warrior, and of course the rune blade um, helm. So those things could affect Kano's ability to sort of be that ultra combo deck. But the more Kano switches into a mid range or sort of tempo build, the less reliant or the less hamstring it is by something like spell void. Right, the more spell void actually just blocks one rather than five for each yeah. instance of one. Um, but ultimately, I think it's a great set for wizard and it's. It's a great set for Kano. We did talk about this maybe not slotting perfectly into the current archetypes of Icelander, but that's just the current archetype. There's yeah. no reason why we couldn't see ourselves going back to a more spell-oriented Icelander where you could end up playing some of those cards. But hey, I'm gonna let you. Why don't you jump into Seer Stone, Seer Stone for us, and maybe talk a little bit about that potential uh, brainstorm combo and tell me if it's real. Well, so Seer Stone brainstorm. I don't even know if you need to play Seer Stone for a brainstorm combo. I think you could look at them somewhat in tandem you could also look at them separately so let's just tackle brainstorm first because i think it'll lead into seer stone is this brainstorm combo real don't know i saw someone playing it at the armory i was at actually on monday they were mm-hmm. playing like a turbo version so they went there's two i think current thoughts on how you can brainstorm uh, if you are looking to build this deck potentially and look at a brainstorm combo there's this kind of ultra turbo where you don't stack your deck you just play cards uh a lot of the amulets and talismans and stuff like that and you just turbo through and you you can play it that way draw a lot of cards potions of luck hope mentions hood etc there's the other way where you can actually stack your deck with tomes and blues and maybe you play a bit more of a traditional damage game in between and potentially some defense reactions you block out a bit you, you chip some damage and then you get to a point where you've stacked tome blue blue tome blue blue tome blue blue and uh Seer stone is probably the one that's going to help you in that situation i think where you're actually actively trying to trying to stack because Seer Stone is this three cost action look at the top card of your deck you can put it on the bottom and then create a ponder token obviously really really powerful you get to draw that card at the end of turn and you could potentially arsenal it Pond- the ponder as a token is really interesting to me I think on Swell Tidings really powerful you get to play two card hands and then you get to draw a card and arsenal it and I think that works a lot better when you have a lower blue count because you don't really genuinely want to arsenal blues in Kano but that card in Icelander is more interesting to me i think that's one of the cards if i talk about icelander you said you know what's it gotten in the current builds even soul tidings could be a potential uh slot in to at least familiar ish icelander builds but yeah seer stone and brainstorm that brainstorm combo and where seer stone fits in i think brainstorm there's already two avenues people are looking at seer stone i think is maybe a little bit less obvious and i'm not sure if that's just a pure you know help you set up combos because you can even go back to like the old days of stir forked right and classic constructed and maybe there, maybe there's options there. So maybe you can play this like deck that has multiple ways to combo off. You have a wildfire draw, you have a stir fork draw, you have Blessing of Aether. Blessing of Aether is a card that probably is one of the most interesting to me. Maybe not the card I'm going to put into every wizard deck I play, but that card's super interesting as a build around. Yeah, I, I could definitely see that card getting played, to be honest. Um, like Blessing of Aether... So one for three is pretty below rate, but not when it hits a uh, Aether Spindle, Aether Spindle on the yeah. long turn. Yeah, like, I mean, this card has the potential to be extremely powerful. It does have to hit in your main phase, so it's not going to pop a wildfire or anything like that. But Aether Flaying this, or like you talked about, Stir Forked, but, you know, as you Stir Forked after a Blessing of Aether setup, it's going to be ridiculous. Like, this card... I think it's a bit underrated right now. Um, I'll have to play with it more to see if it's actually viable because this idea of setting up this aura in Kano is like... I don't know, maybe it'll be clunky, maybe it won't be. I, I think I'm higher on this card uh, in comparison to other people. So I'm really excited to play with uh, with Blessing of Aether in particular. Hey, and I got to ask you a question, though, about Surgeon Aethertide. Is that, mm-hmm. what the heck is going on with that staff? Like, is it, 
do you play this staff? Like what it, I don't I, I just don't understand. Is it like a future card or what's going on here? Yeah, so there's three cards we haven't talked about. Surgeon Aethertide, Tempest or Aurora, and what's the third card we haven't talked about? Mind Warp. The Mind Warp. Yeah, which so, is all, which is a sick card. I it's love, cool. I, like I love the art on that card, by the way. Yeah. We we're probably not, we can't cover every card in this Dynasty review, and we also just don't have a lot to say right now. So I'm gonna leave it up to you, but in terms of Aethertide, I don't have much to say other than I don't think it fits into any of the sort of potential builds I've looked at so far. The interesting thing, of course, with this is you ba- basically you pay one more than a crucible to get a damage effectively. But if your opponent defends it well, then you you know you don't get the buff effect. So Surgeon Aethertide to me is not interesting right now, but it, it could be in the future. Aurora is not interesting to me right now, and Mind Warp is interesting to me, but I haven't had much time to think on that card right now. Yeah, it's an interesting balance between like you get the additional damage effect and you still get the buff, but I, I, it's just hard to see it beating out Waiting Moon and then also beating out Crucible because Crucible is just so economical and what Crucible does is very specific, right? Yeah. Like that's when I think when you're switching out to Waiting Moon, you start to realize that how important Crucible is in Kano because Kano most of the time is not raw damage, right? It's some sort of on hit effect, it's some sort of multiplicative effect. So that plus one is like very, very significant. Um, and you have to change the way you play the the hero significantly when you switch over to something like Waiting Moon. Yeah, well, don't forget, Which, if you're wanting to play a pure damage arcane build that isn't multiplying any effects, isn't trying to combo, whatever it might be, you're playing below rate and you start at 30 life as Kano. So yeah. good luck to you. 100%. You have yeah, to have exactly. you have to have something. Uh, so yeah, and also worth noting on Aethertide, if the d- damage, that first point of damage is defended, then you don't get the Crucible effect. You know, the, it's yeah. where X damage. So uh, yeah, those cards- a lot of interactivity. I don't know if I'm about that life when I'm playing Kano, you know? Yeah, we'll, we'll see on those cards. But yeah, I think it's time to move on and talk about- Guardian, yeah, Guardian's next up, so we'll talk about Guardian, and uh, let's move on to Runeblade. Yep, so on to the real classes <laughs> in Flesh and Blood. Runeblade, you know, one of one of Legend Studio's favorite classes. Okay, we can say something about We can Guardian. talk about Guardian a little bit, I think. It's, do you know what? It's so funny, me and Brendan, we were missing each other about the show notes, and I, I said to him, I said, all right, you've got this hero, we both can cover Wizard easily, and then I said, Guardian, I've got some notes, Brendan, but I'll be honest, I think it is the worst class in Dynasty in terms of what it's been given. Not, yeah, not, I, not out of interest, just out of like, what are you doing with these cards? I mean, out of interest too, to be fair. But that 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 could be oh. biased. Like, yeah, I think so it's a bit biased. I I thought the I thought the Guardian was one of those boring ones in Everfest, and I think when we talked about it, you disagreed heavily. And I, I when I revisited that thought, I was like, okay, maybe you're correct. Like, got us some cool pieces. Man, Guardian is just really not doing it for me these days. Like, I just it's hard for me to get excited about this class, especially when it moves into more of this, like, even more defensive and, I don't know. These new cards, it, it does represent a, a new-ish archetype, especially in the way you utilize the shield. Um, but for me in particular, it's, like, the last thing I want to do when I'm seeing a bunch of new cards and, like, new combos. I'm like, oh, yeah, I just want to go, you know, try to fatigue people out a bit more. But, you know, if any of these things are above rate, just quantitatively, yeah, they might make your Guardian deck, right? Or if there's... I feel like there's a sliding scale, right? Either you can fatigue people or you play cards that are above rate. Like that is the extent of Guardian sort of defense spectrum. And if you're not doing that, like they're kind of useless. Let's break it into a few different parts because... There's, there's some interest here, and it depends on what you're into, I think. So let's talk about, you've got a new hero. You've got Yoji, right? So I talked about Arachne being like the newest hero in Flesh and Blood. Of course, we do also have Yoji. But to me, Yoji looks like a PV slash multiplayer hero. I think, I think it's pretty safe to say, right? That's where Yoji sits. Yeah, definitely. So I'm not going to dive too much into Yoji. Then you have this offhand and offhand related piece. And then the last piece is you have 
uh, auras, and we'll, we'll, get, we'll get to that. I think that's kind of the last piece, plus a couple of blues, that new blues at Majestic that are interesting. But let's talk about the offhand piece first. So you do have two shields in the form of Season Savior and Steel Braid Buckler, and you have these cards that interact with your offhand weapons, so, uh, offhand uh, equipment, which we, we already do have in the form of Stalagmite, of course, for Ultim only at this point. And then we have Ram's Head, which can be played in Bravo or uh, even Velder as well, right? So Shield Bash, the card you have, you have Shield Wall, you have this Reinforced Steel, which helps you get minus one counters off of your, your offhands, and then Withstand, another card that's going to give you plus. So it's all about giving extra defense and then some cards that take some battle-worn counters off. The, the problem I have with these cards is that I think apart from Shield Wall, which is, is it Shield Wall? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, which is basically, yeah, it read as a six for 11. So three cards for 11. At, that's that's above rate. Everything else is below rate. But also even Shield Wall, that requires, like, what are you defending for 11? And paying three cards into it. Like, hey, you know, like you draw this card, you have to immediately want to be able to play it because it's a defense yeah. reaction. So I think- Mirror I, attack. Yeah, right. That would be the option. It's like pulverized tech. So it's- um. The cards I think we've got are not as interesting to me and I don't really have much to touch on, but still, Steel Braid Buckler is probably the most interesting of this offhand equipment sort of piece because I think we could see this in Bravo, for instance. You know, this with the Titan system Bravo is somewhat interesting. I really would have liked to have seen another one-handed weapon go alongside these offhand equipment, I think. That would have been interesting to me, something that maybe interacts with offhand equipment or some way to attack. Like if, just overall, if I was to give an 8.5, 9 rank to Dynasty sort of grade, that's probably what I would give it. But I think it's losing half a point from the Guardian stuff here because I'd, I'd rate my sort of overall take on Guardian at like a, a 3 or a 4. Yeah, I wonder when it comes to Guardian and Guardian design, like they do have two avenues and they've taken avenue, you know, avenue number two this time, which is more defensive. They've mm. sort of pushed this this design space of the offhand and the shield. Like, would it have been more interesting if it was just another bunch of big attacks with on-hit triggers? I think that... No, I, yeah. I, I agree. Like, it's we talked about what we wanted from Dynasty. We said we want Crucible-esque. We want something that goes a little bit wider as opposed to a little bit deeper. And that's what, that's what mm. we've got, to be fair. I think... Yeah, if, wider and deeper is always great. But, um, you know, on to Runeblade. Let's... I mean, that's this thing. Hayden and I, fundamentally, at this point in the game, and I think we can say this, and this is something I think we... We're just not the biggest Guardian players. Like, I, I understand and lo I love... I, I like Bravo for what it is. I understand Oldham very well. But I'm looking at these cards, and I'm not like, boom, this is going to create a new Guardian archetype for me. This is what Oldham needed to come out of the depths or whatever it is. It's just not there quite yet. I think that these cards are either... They're either going to be busted in some sort of new defensive archetype, or they're above that quantitative matrix and they're just played as a value card, which Guardian these days, Guardians these days is like, it's very much a value-oriented deck. Go look at the top eight of the World Championships. A lot of those Guardian decks are predicated off, you know, casting four-cost big Guardian attacks with a tuning counter and pitching one card, yep. yeah. Or Command and Conquer Pummel for one one card pitch. It's the idea of like cheating on this like single card pitch for above rate. And uh, yeah, the Guardian deck just seems sort of like a value deck these days. Yeah, Season Savior is interesting to me. Also, it looks really cool in, in Marvel. It looks great. So we'll see where that goes. The, the two cards I do want to, sorry, three cards I do want to touch on the outside of that offhand piece. So Buckle. I think Buckle's interesting. You know, it's tear asunder-esque. It's not as good, I don't think, but it is really relevant. People have to be careful with their equipment. I think you can even just play this as a one-off. Another blue that can slot into Bravo or, or even Ultim, but particularly Bravo, really easily and have this kind of, you know, this with Anathos coming in for seven and, and threatening your 
key equipment on the other side of the table, your opponent's key equipment, is really good and really relevant. So I do think Buckle is is, is a good card, and we're going to see that card get played. I think it's the card that's probably going to see the most play out of out of Guardian from the set. Never Yield is interesting. If you can hit all three abilities on Never Yield, which is this uh, you know this life gain one, you draw a card, and you can remove a minus one counter from your uh, a piece of your equipment, if you have less equipment than your opponent, if you can hit like consistently two to three, that card's really interesting to me. If you're hitting consistently two to three, is there, a, is there a bit of a problem with what's happening in the game, though? Because generally that might not fit a lot of Guardian's plans. But, you know, being below on life in Guardian isn't, isn't a bad thing. But generally you'd probably be saving your equipment if that's the case. So that one's interesting to me. I want to talk about Blessing of Patience because, like, every time we get to Guardian and we talk about Guardian, I talk about Aura, Guardian, and we've got yeah. another Aura for this Guardian deck. Brendan, maybe this set will finally be the set where I build up yeah. Aura, Guardian. No longer just a welcome trade draft archetype. You think it's going to make its way into CCA? Well, Blessing of Patience is definitely interesting. It gives you this, it gives you a cheap aura, which I think is really interesting for the, oh, I've forgotten the card name. The one that is from Tales of Aria and draws you a card if you control another aura. So you can, this one doesn't have go again though. That, that is the issue with this one, but emboldened, that's what it's called. But I'm really interested in having a cheap aura, access to a cheap aura in this potential Guardian aura build. But anyway, that, that's enough about Guardian. I'm interested to see if people can come up with ways to use this offhand my gut feelings we're not going to see it used competitively but with yoji with other things i i expect to see it in some way shape or form apart from buckle see we're gonna see uh, buckle. yeah it might be there might be i don't know there might be a use case for it not against aggro but when you come to playing against aggro which is most of the meta um the the ice shield is just way too good <laughs> it's it's great so i i don't know maybe against yeah. like opposing guardians but i, I don't know uh yeah guardian just has access to some uh, a really good shield already in the form of the ice shield which i'm some well for ultim bravo doesn't have access to that and that's what i think this yeah. the, the 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 braid is is yoji velda that's three guardians you know yeah i just kind of i always think about bravo as just like old him's like stepbrother that's just it's just not quite there. Um, I don't know. Old him just seems like a better guardian having access to Crown of Seas, the old him ability, and Bravo's hero attacks effectively kind of being blank in some of these metas. But so interesting because you have both, you've twice played Bravo when I've at an event when I've told you not to play Bravo, if you remember. Nostalgia, let's go. <laughs> doing it. You've done it twice. I miss it twice, it's 12, 12, twice last minute. But you're playing that ProQuest. What are you playing? Playing Bravo. Why are you playing Bravo? Play Livia. It's, it's the second best deck in the format. Why are you playing the fourth best deck? And then. Oh, you're playing in that uh, that battle hardened in Dallas. What are you playing? Playing Bra- Why are you playing Bravo, Brendan? What's going on? Should have seen Michael Fang ask me why I'm playing Bravo instead of old him and uh, didn't have an answer. Why? I think your answer was fine at that point. But yeah, you played a million, which is not a good enough answer. I don't think if you think about like the competitive advantage of old him, it's like oh, I love Bravo. It's like oh. All right, on the Rune Blade. I think at this point in our in our careers in the 85th episode of Arsenal Pass. You are now the Rune Blade guy, Hayden. So take us in. How did that happen? I remember. Well, I guess we both worked on chain. I, you during you the probably like won a won a national championship or something. Like, just that little thing. Uh, fair enough. Fair enough. Well, let's talk about this right first. Then we, I think the way we'll do Rune Blade here is we'll go through each of the Rune Blade heroes and talk about the cards. I think that that they get because some of the cards I think we we probably won't bother touching on to be honest. Uh, so let's talk about Viserai and I'm not going anywhere without talking about Looming Doom, Brendan, because this card is for real. I'm not sure if you've had mm-hmm. much of a chance to look at, think about, see things about this card, but Looming Doom is, it's not, it's not busted. I think it has the potential to be really, really good as an archetype on its own. So Looming Doom, I think there's a few ways you can look at this. You can look at this with 
pure creepers interaction in mind and what this can do in say pretty standard viscerai builds you can look at this with otk potential uh with a card like blessing of a cult which is also new in this another way to generate rune chance and you could look at a way where you not even otk that's the wrong that's the wrong terminology i guess but you you could potentially have this build where you you look at stacking up a bunch of rune chance early in the game very defensive and then you looming doom for a massive amount and you grind your opponent out that way basically by being super defensive mm -hmm. that requires him to only play ab1 so that that might fall a bit short in round two when your opponent's seen your round one go to time and you've played uh played that strategy the last one is it's just a good card and it has many setups that you can do and this is especially against control decks that's the most interesting one for me so i'm going to start with that one i think the where looming dune is going to find the most most home or i guess find itself most at home is in pretty traditional viscerai shells where you do things like you know uh turn one more tired read the runes and then turn two, I slap down this Looming Doom, play pretty defensively. I set up this Looming Doom with, you know, eight to 10 counters on it. And now I'm threatening 16 to 20 damage over the course of the game. And if my opponent wants to defend that, they now either have to pitch a card to, probably they're only playing AB1, so they probably can only defend one of it. Maybe if I'm coming with other arcane damage, they can find some use for their resources. But what if I'm not? What if I'm just taking this turn off to block up a, a Guardian matchup, or I decide to play with two cards from my own turn and just come in with something like a Spellblade Assault for a setup for the following turn? It's really... The, the Looming Doom value in this more sort of traditional Vistro build, I think, is really high. And people have to be playing AB2. And you know what? If they're playing AB2 against me, that's fine. I just won't play the Looming Doom. I'll just come up with the yeah, one chance good. for normal damage. Right. It's, a, it's a blue that blocks for three. Just keep Moff showing them. Like, it's yep. good. They have less armor to block on hit triggers with. Yeah. So card is it's effectively it, it reminds me a lot of what rosetta thorn does in grindy matchups where you're just leaking that damage through and i think that's where we're going to see looming doom at its best but i do just want to cover a couple of other things i do think there's a potential for a more sort of setup based viscerai deck to come back into the format with you know you've got this blessing of a cult that's coming as well which helps you make more rune chance and then the other thing is i don't know if you would know about this brennan but do you know that with uh creepers you can also there's a, a line where you can have the damage from the rune chance come in and you also get the looming doom value counters off them as well i know because you're telling me but if i'm trying to picture how that happens i'm just like i this is my classic with any of those weird interactions. i'm like yeah. i'm like hayden just tell me the exact sentence to say it to my opponent and i'm just gonna remember that <laughs> and it's like if they ever ask me a question i'm gonna repeat that sentence yeah so there's the creepers and the way that spellbound creepers works has some really interesting things with layer interactions so there's there's a way you can play double Revel in Rune Blood without having played a non-attack action this turn because of Creeper's interaction. Of course, for Creepers to be able to be viable, you have to have attacked with an attack this turn. So that makes it really difficult to you because by the time it's an attacking card, the the rune chance have already you, you're too late on that. But the way you can do it is you can play an, an attack, and then after that you can play something like a Revel in Rune Blood, making some amount of rune chant tokens. You can come in with another attack, and when those rune chant tokens are on the chain, the first ones on the chain uh, about to pop, or they they all pop. Sorry and then they trigger and they're about to deal the damage. You can then creepers in your Looming Doom and it still sees the rune chance, will destroy them. You will get the counters on Looming Doom and the damage is still gonna resolve. So really interesting layer interaction there between how that works. It's quite, it's, it sounds it's really powerful. Frostbites, right? Yeah, exactly. It's the same, it's a similar layer interaction to Frostbites and how that works with Ice Eternal. The, the tough thing though is that it sounds great in, in theory, but that's a lot of resources. Looming Doom costs three. You have to have already come in with an attack. You have to be able to pay for creepers. You have to have a card like Revel and Rune Blood to be able to actually to play, or maybe even I don't know, what's another one that creates rune chance. Probably a Spellblade Assault is more more relevant to be honest. Playing a Spellblade Assault on the first the first chain link, but it is harder to do. But that is an interaction that is around, and I'm sure people will try and build around it. I don't think it's worth trying to hold Looming Dooms and Arsenal to try and make this kind of play. But 
you know, it's going to come up in some games, but I think that's probably in builds where you're looking at a traditional Viscerae list, like I talked about with Looming Doom just being a good card. Oh yeah, that's why. That's the thing about these blue block threes. They don't have to do much to make it into the deck. And if they're an alternate win condition, hell yeah, go them in. So I think it's, it'll just be a staple. <laughs> yeah, it always surprised me that people cut in traditional Viscerae builds, cut down on Dread Triptych. Like I think that card is still really, really powerful. But people have moved away from that card, which I, I do find surprising because I think that card is in non-belittle builds really really relevant but i think in terms of viscerai just some of the other cards to cover you know we've got this new theme of like fusion effectively if you've played a if you've pitched with a non-attack and an attack action you get different abilities on the card so you've got cryptic crossing diabolic ultimatum you've got this deathly deathly duet uh aether slash i think those are the cards yeah those are the, all the cards that do that so they have an, a, a text line for if you've pitched a non-attack and they also have a, a text line if you attack uh, pitched with a attack and a non-attack and if you've done both you'll, you'll get both effects so Crypto Crossing is the Majestic that I think people are going to look to first. It's a, a three cost, mm. six attack that it gets uh, first time it deals damage to Defending Hero. They discard a card and you draw a card. That's if you've done both. So you've got to, in that one instance, do both. And then the rest all have single tick line for each non-attack and attack. And the one I want to talk about mostly is probably Deathly Duet. I think this is the one that is going to be the most interesting. It, it reminds me of Stir the Wildwood because if you can fulfill both sort of criteria like with stir the wildwood you know the arcane damage and the earth fusion it was a two for eight right brennan it became two mm. for eight that's the same with yeah deathly duet so deathly duet if you've done both non-attack and attack action it'll get the plus two plus it'll also get create two rune chance so you're effectively looking at a two for eight yeah i really do wonder about this this mechanic right like how easy is it going to be pull off is it easier to fuse with two cards from your hand than it is to pitch like this so if you think, think about so. like nor you think so yeah yeah i think so too yeah because like even not only is it very expensive on like how many cards you need to keep in your hand to be able to kind of pull these things off, but it's like what kind of viscerai lines are doing this, yeah. and are they more effective than playing like Mavrin Skies two cost and usually in the form of Shrill and then swinging a Rosetta Thorn. So we have two for six, and yeah, it's interesting, and I think it's pretty tough to pull off. And Crypto Crossing though, I think that's a really cool card because I think that's a card that you could potentially play something with Go again, um, and then actually be able to satisfy both clauses on this card because the on hit trigger is so significant. Uh, I do want to ask you though, Hayden, is Amethyst Tiara, is that a card that you would include in your sideboard at this point? Probably not right now, but I, I think it has a lot of potential. I mean, I, I wanted to ask you about how annoying this would be as a, as a wizard player, right? <laughs> I just don't think people can justify putting it in their decks, to be honest, because like I try to think about how the, how you would actually have all these rune chants available, and I think in current Rosetta Thorn runeblade decks it's very very unlikely that you would have them sort of the, at the time you need them right so you'd have to have a different most likely a different archetype um and at that point it's like are you powerful enough to beat any of the other decks i, I just don't see this as like okay this is a sideboard card and you're just able to whip it out against wizard if the wizard threat is justifiable enough i think if you have this card in your sideboard and you don't have the right archetype for this card like it'll actually still just be a bad card against wizard yeah, I think you're probably looking at these more setup-based decks and you go like, yeah, I can afford to sacrifice four or five rune chance here to stop my opponent comboing and killing me. Because one of the tough things about playing a setup deck is that you're probably having to tap out, tap out, like go shields down mm -hmm. a lot and, and dump, dump your hand to, you know, do something like block out with two cards, Mordred Tide plus uh, read the runes, things like that. Or become the Mordred Tide, become the Argonite, read the runes, you know, three cards. So I think that's where Tiara could be viable, but it's going to be meta-specific, I think. That's the same with Diabolic Ultimatum, just going back to those those fusion cards. I think that's a, you know, you've got to be in a, a part where you want to be destroying auras or its allies, right? Yeah. Yeah, auras or allies. This one I could see, this one I think is, uh, 
you know, more of a sideboard card potentially, right? Mm-hmm. Like to really sure. deal with some some hateful things. Yep. Uh, so yeah, this card I see I see being played potentially uh, more likely than some than something like Tiara. Uh, one thing I want to mention about Diabolical Ultimatum is like. Uh, what the hell is this art? Because this is interesting, actually. This is like some big, and this I know this is not a normal Ar- Arsenal pass take here, but this is like some big Rune Blade monster, and like some dude is seems to be making like an ultimatum, I guess, or like a pact with it, which is, from my understanding, not something we've seen in like Rune Blade to be honest. Before is like them making packs with allies. I guess Urser is a version of that, but I don't know. For some reason, it stands out to me. And if there's a piece of art that stands out to me. I feel like that's pretty significant because most well, of the time I'm just I just see numbers. <laughs> look at Looming Doom. Looming Doom also has something similar. Yeah. I think it goes back to this demonstry. We won't go too much more tangent, but just the demonstry and the closeness <laughs> of the demonstry with uh, with with Shadow and obviously Viscerai Chain. Yeah, I think it's it's really <laughs> interesting. The, the law side of of Flesh and Blood is really cool. I wish they would actually do a little bit more because I would probably at this point consume it. To be honest, um, I want to yeah. quickly talk about just lines with with Deathly Duet and potentially Cryptic Crossing. But there is a lot of things you can do, and I think that with the reason we might see this card is because of lines you could play. They're going to be four and five card lines, but it is things like I, I think with Rattle Bones in particular, like Rattle Bonesing mm-hmm. a uh, a Swimming Gloom Veil or something like that, with say an Incantation already on the play from the start of the turn, then pitching another card to come with Deathly Duet. If you also have a Movering Skies for the Deathly Duet, now you're looking at four to five card hands that can put out a lot of damage. Like you're looking at 20 damage off four to five card hands. So uh, Deathly Duet is interesting to me. I just, I don't know. Like Shrill Mov is just so much cleaner. So flexible, so flexible as well. Like that, we'll see. I don't know. Yeah. I'm excited to play around with it. And I think the blue and then the red, probably in that order is where I'll play around with stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But a Skyfire Lancer, is that going in your deck? Yeah, I want to, well, I want to talk about skyfire lanterns uh no it's not going in my deck I, I can't see a home for skyfire lanterns the one i thought of was a red line briar deck when maybe you play the red one but it doesn't it just gives you a rune chant which is not really where you want to be like it feels like it needs to be at home in viscerai but you know maybe this is maybe i okay maybe i'm playing this like ridiculous blue setup viscerai deck with a lot of blues in my deck maybe i can pop the blue skyfire lanterns yeah. in there might be I the think if Bloodsheet Scalana was still a card, I might play Skyfire Lanterns Blue at like some point. But uh, yeah, I'm at a loss for the, for this one. But this one kind of feels like a booster filler. I just don't understand. I don't see it. So if you see it, let me know because no, I, don't I don't see it. See it. No, I don't see it. Yeah. The the Briar piece that's interesting to me as well is the Reaping Runic Reaping. Mm. That's the Runic one I thought reaping, maybe yeah. Briar might use that card, but it has to be. It has to be a runeblade card, so I don't know. Like unless Briar goes back to a lot of the elemental runeblade cards, I, I don't really see it. The other piece as well, probably if you look at chain and blitz, I don't really see anything too much for that right now. What else is there? The Annals of Sutcliffe is an interesting weapon, right? Again, is this a, mm. like Seer Stone? Is this a setup weapon? I, I don't know at this point. So if you haven't seen this one, it's the once per turn action cost three, draw a card, and if attack and a non-attack were used to pay for it, then uh, you create a room chant. So, but that requires you pitching two cards. You need to be yeah, doing something else at the same time. My my question would actually be pulled back even more fundamentally, which is like, is Flesh and Blood a setup game? Because at this point, it's like a lot of those strategies have lost their sort of, lost their integrity uh, because the game is 
so fast and some decks are doing things that are so powerful like Icelander right I guess that would be like the setup deck we have but it's not really a setup deck it's more of a tempo deck that just has cards that are so ridiculously powerful that it's also a combo if you want to do that so like if you're just playing this this deck that's trying to play towards like a more linear end game plan mm. it feels like you get run over by a lot of stuff in the format and they get outvalued by these sort of mid-range decks that come in the form of Icelander and stuff yeah I like to make a distinction right now between setup decks combo decks because a setup deck is something that is looking to actively do a repetitive thing or do certain things on specific turns to get to a point in the game. A combo deck, something like Kana, for instance, is looking for a particular set of cards at any point in the game or a particular point in the game, maybe, but it's not moving towards that in some way, shape or form other than just draw the cards or find them. Whereas, you know, with something like a, a, a Looming Doom or an OTK Viscerai, for instance, like it's like turn after turn, set up, set up room chance, set up room chance. Um, mm-hmm. I agree. I think where we've seen decks fall especially previous meta it was like okay trying to do any kind of setup in previous minutes trying to do any kind of setup that was just like a death sentence we have moved i think with prism ll bravo ll chain ll to a, a meta where or metas where some form of setup is a lot more viable and we have seen those in some way shape or form but those setups have to be in powerful shells they have to be yeah. additive yeah. not the the sole source right now and i think that is Will we ever see that come back, you know, like a, a true... Because even if you look at Viscerite in the Lightning Briar meta, like, you could also just play the Skeletal, like, aggro build, but you did have this, like, ridiculous, powerful yeah. combo you could build to. But it was so it was so quick. It was so easy to get to, and cards were replacement level. When you're talking about specific cards, they aren't replacement level. So I don't I don't know. I don't think right now we're going to get back to that, but in the future, maybe, always hope. It's a really interesting topic that we won't go too deep into, but I do think that a lot of the most powerful things, uh, the most powerful sort of setup cards or combo cards in Flesh and Blood are just cards that are like Looming Doom, right? They're like blue, yeah. the blues at block three that give you this sort of alternate win condition. If it if they don't do that, most of the time they're actually not making the cut because we're at the stage in the game that we're at. Uh, you ask if we could ever go back there. I think it's possible. I think the Prism Living Legend really did a lot to the game that I didn't expect. It had a huge impact on the game, completely changed, I feel like, the dynamic of play. So we could see that as more heroes potentially Living Legend out. I'm le- I have less faith in the addition of a new heroes. It does feel like that the some of the biggest impacts in Flesh and Blood come from problematic heroes actually coming out of the game. So that's really cool. And I just want to talk about, really quickly, just my favorite setup deck in Flesh and Blood, which is... Um, I reveal these three cards and activate my Star Wars ability. That's the best setup deck that's ever existed in Flesh and Blood. Why are you revealing two? Why are you revealing three cards? Just reveal a oh, pulse. So yeah, yeah, card. Why are you revealing three reveal. cards? What are you yeah. talking about? Just um, holding the pulse like turbo reveal. <laughs> yeah, I just want to say one last thing before we move on to Illusionist is I don't even know if that's good for the game. This idea of moving back to we've never really been there to be honest. Like I would say Viscerai was like the closest we had to it, mm. old Viscerai Scalada, but that was because the interaction was so powerful. If we ever get to a, a point where you have these true full setup decks, I don't even know if it's good for the game. So another topic yeah, for another day, but let's move on to Illusionist. Brendan, why don't you... I, each of these classes in the notes, I've kind of broken down a little bit differently. Why don't we talk about the equipment to start with? Like, these are quite interesting to me. Why don't you tell us a little bit about the equipment? Yeah, I mean, so this is Celestial Kimono and Wave of Reality. Celestial Kimono says it's a Illusionist equipment chest. It's the higher rarity one says once per turn when celestial kimono or a non-token permanent you control with ward is destroyed gain a resource and it has ward one itself uh ward by the way says if you would be dealt damage prevent x of that damage x of whatever ward is and destroy this um so that's really important to be honest so we'll hold on to that wave reality this is an arms piece says when a, when wave reality is destroyed create a spectral shield token and it has ward one 
so I think that these are really interesting and more of like a defensive <laughs> build of, of Illusionist. I was actually, I had them in my deck for our Blitz game and I was playing against Mech and I realized that like these were probably not very good against Mech, even in Blitz, even if I was able to get that sort of singular value out of the ward um, in the resource value. They do seem like they don't slot into, I don't know, like a hybrid, hybrid Illusionist archetype right there i think they're in a more dedicated archetype where you're getting enough value out of these and they're not just popping off on like turn zero which is worst case scenario right yeah that's kind of my question right is wave reality is the same thing it has ward one and when it's destroyed create a spectral uh, shield but they don't def have defensive value their whole piece is around ward and so of course wave reality has the one-time use celestial kimono longer you can keep around the more potential for value you can get out of it but regardless these are going to be destroyed pretty early on. You can pretty safely say, and any deck that can push damage is going to be able to pop these. Like th yeah. they are really interesting to me. What is, where is the actual use cases? Where are we going to see these pop up? Like I'm really not sure. So I'm just going to non-token permanent with ward. So I think you you have other cards with ward, right? That yes, they pop. Yes. Tome of AO. That's the idea, right? So that's the big payoff. Is like you're playing with Tome of AO or um, Blessing of Spirits, which also is ward, and these will pop on your the start of your turn or your action phase, and then you're getting like, uh, let's say you did that like three turns in a row, like you get like you know basically a two tuna counter every single turn and it's it's really powerful but then again you're going to go into your opponent's turn and you have to have these things not pop because the thing about blessing experience the top of ale is that once you play them if you go to your opponent's turn you take damage and they pop you actually don't get the effect which yeah. is there makes them quite high investments to be honest then there's a dichotomy in in specifically prism so we're talking about prism here there's a big dichotomy because, yes, like these cards can be good and you want to be defensive. But when I say it doesn't slot into the, the, the normal shells, is like you have auras, which are actually a These auras are facilitating you, be the, you being the control deck, right? But they're also a massive liability when you have Celestial Commander and Wave Reality because now you have zero blocks in your deck. You're almost certainly going to be taking damage at some point in the game. And yeah. the fact that you can take that on turn zero is like. I mean, these, these pieces of equipment. I think that it's for an archetype that I don't fully understand yet. Um, and we'll have to see more of that. <laughs> I'm not sure but, the support's there for it, to, to be honest. The Tome of Ao, like, you can choose, the obviously, where the ward happens. So you can choose Tome of Ao, of course, to be destroyed. For, I do just want to clarify that. So if you Celestial Kimono and Tome of Ao and you're getting doubt one damage, you can choose the Tome to pop first. That'll Kimono will obviously see that. You gain the resource. Maybe you can do something like Play an Aura, for instance, and, and Prism Blitz. But... If we're more focused on Classic Constructed, Tome of Ao is actually more interesting to me in Dramai. So it's a blue, does defend two, which is probably not where you want to be. But if you get some dragons out and you get to play something like a Tome of Ao, what's your opponent doing? If they're, you know, they're sort of priced into killing dragons, all of a sudden mm. this Tome of Ao is pretty free and you could be playing a six card hand on your next turn because of what, because they can't push damage into you. Yeah, you're totally right. That balance, uh, I guess Prism would have had somewhat of a similar balance with the the Spectra. auras as well, right? Um, with Spectra, exactly. I think that if your opponent doesn't have Gilligan, like this is a, a way that these illusionists further punish decks that go tall, right? Because if you do have Gilligan, right, you can maybe clear a few dragons, then clear this at the end with like a cheap weapon mm -hmm. or something. But if you're only... The thing about Spectra and allies is that if you're playing something like Guardian, 
they're kind of the same thing, right? Because you you only have one at you you have one action point, but you also also only have one attack, so they kind of do the same thing. But yeah, for sure, that's a tough question to ask your opponent when you have a card like this that's threatening to draw a card on your your following turn. But they also need to be like, okay, I have to kill these dragons, or it's going to get out of control. So I do think they are particularly interesting in Jermai. And also, when we talk about class constructed, we are only talking about Jermai now. Yeah, um, of course. So we could spend yes. more time on this. I think blessing of spirits. One thing I do want to point out is spectral. I can't remember what it's called. The one that makes three shields is an instant, doesn't defend, costs you three. This one costs you Prismatic. one. Prismatic shield, that's the one. This one costs you, Blessing Spirits costs you one and creates three shields at red and also defends two and has ward one. That's quite interesting in terms of like the rate of return on your spectral shields if you can obviously have it survive. Mm. That's one I would be looking at, I think, in Blitz. And I know I think you looked at it in the gameplay, uh, the deck that we use for the gameplay. I think you did have some in there. So let's move on. I want to ask you about these cards that care about sorry there's also tranquil passing we didn't talk about tranquil passing this is another aura that has ward one uh and what does this one do when tranquil passing into the arena you may banish target or a token or a permanent with cost three or less controlled by an opponent until tranquil passing leaves the arena right this one doesn't destroy at the, end, the start of your turn but once you deal damage could be interesting in the mirror right taking out sort of zero cost auras in the prison mirror i, I don't know <laughs> Yeah, I mean, well, it, it is interesting. It is interesting in the mirror, but I think that that's like not the biggest question you're asking yourself as an illusionist player, like right now. Yeah. I mean, illusionist in the in these metas is is pretty much positioned as the dog in most, even in Blitz, right? Like in Blitz, it's doing very well, um, and it was highly played, but it's still not the expected best deck. So you still kind of are the dog, and I don't think you should be prepping if you're playing Prism. You shouldn't be like prepping to play the mirror with this like this in your Blitz deck. And I don't think that Jermai is a class constructor at a point where they're you know maybe seriously considering this card but it could hit more things that don't immediately come to mind right i do want to talk about soraya though because that that's obviously a marquee card of the set and mm -hmm. probably wasn't it probably wasn't meant to come out with prism living legend and classic instructor that's just kind of how things happened yeah. um it's one of the coolest cards of the set i think it's a very very powerful card as well like if you look at the value on it um, you play it, it consumes a spectral shield, so two resources, then you lose one from converting a spectral to Soraya, but you are threatening, uh, depending if you meet the conditions, right, you're threatening four, you're threatening to heal as well, heal four, uh, and it can deal one damage, and then it also has ward four on the following turn, like, this is, the numbers on, it, on Soraya are crazy, and I think it's one of the more powerful cards, like, in Flesh and Blood, uh, it, the, the setup is a bit, is a bit, tight i guess you have to have a spectral shield but that's really about it one thing to keep in mind is like the once per action of attack doesn't doesn't have go again uh but uh yeah sarai is fantastic this card would card. so powerful and glass constructed it's a yellow i think it would hit the battlefield and you lose the game like i think that, that <laughs> it looks it looks like it it's really really good well here, let me ask you a question in in constructed with herald of your edition what was the best way to play herald of your editions was it to play it when you drew them or to play them in the late game when your opponent had no equipment left yeah, I mean, uh, it was more... It was definitely in the late game. You pitched them it most depends. of the time, right? Like, I pitched yeah. Hero of Edition way more than I played it because if my opponent can defend it, it's, you know, it's below rate, right? But Soraya reminds me a little bit of what Hero of Edition was doing in that in that class constructor format where you were getting to second cycle with these a lot of these matchups, especially into Guardians and stuff, and then you play something like Soraya. It's like, yeah. I mean, like, you, you just described the value. I don't need to go over that, but the card's powerful. Also seems powerful in Blitz, yeah. just a, a bit... I think it's a bit less powerful because it's a bit more vulnerable. 
Yeah, definitely. And if you don't have the Spectral Shield, so a lot of the matchups you're going to be playing in Bliss are aggressive matchups. Even Icelander, the quote-unquote best deck, is pretty aggressive in how it deals damage to you. If you don't have Spectral Shields, then this card doesn't do much, right? Yeah. Uh, so well, it's a yellow, you yellow three block. Which yeah, is... Yellow the blocks three. So if, if, that, if, it, if that's okay for you, then yeah, it goes in your deck. Um, but it can be somewhat of a liability if you're playing to play it out. But my favorite card in the set, to be honest, for Illusionist, is Phantasmal Symbiosis. Yeah, can, can we talk about some of these? So can we talk about some of these? Sorry, that, obviously that's a Phantasm attack, which you can talk about. But then I want you to talk a bit about these Spectral Shield attacks. There's a big theme around this with Spectral Procession, with Spectral Prowler, with Rider. So maybe you can talk a bit about Symbiosis mm-hmm. in these, these shield cards. Yeah, so I guess Symbiosis sort of falls out of that category, but Symbiosis is a <laughs> one for six, which is a big deal. Um, and it says when this when this attacks, they have a card. Cards of that cards of that name are Illusionist on the turn. I would almost evaluate this card as like textless, and it would it's still great, right? It's just a yellow war to no, 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 is- no, no. This card's great. You you come in and you name your opponent's like Wounded Bull or whatever that can pop this because it's now an Illusionist card that can no longer pop the Symbiosis. Oh, I didn't think. Of- <laughs> That's why it's good. <laughs> Dude, it, no, it's good. It would be good textless, to be honest. Like, one for sure, six yellow sure. is, is so, so, so good. That's great. But you now play, you get to, your opponent's playing yellow and friggin' or yellow and red Fiendles Fighting Spirit as their poppers, oh, especially so in the mirror, good. and you're like, okay, yeah. I named Fiendles Fighting Spirit. Oh, my God. Runic Reclamation. Can you... Exactly. That's so funny. Yeah, because, like, okay, so if you're playing against Guardian, you're probably not going to be able to hit it, but you don't you don't need that. Like, you're already beating Guardians, right? So if you're playing against sure. things like Rune Blades, which are teching in, like, Ninth Blades and Runic Reclamation, mostly Runic Reclamation at this point, then they have a very narrow suite of cards to hit, and this is super reasonable. Yeah, it's great. I, I was... So when I was originally talking about the card, I was just talking about it as, like, a one for six at yellow. Uh, just really good, because these... One for sixes are just... You've played Wartoon Herald, you know. You've seen it. Mm-hmm. Uh, you potentially playing three Wartoon Heralds in a turn. Absolutely where you want to be and how that interacts with sort of your resource base for playing out uh, these Light Illusionist auras. Very, very good. It's so okay. funny that that we talk about this card and you go like, how powerful is this majestic? And it's like, yeah, but it's not. It's no Wartoon Herald, is it? <laughs> yeah. It's pretty funny. What, so, about, what about these Spectral Shield cards, these cards that care about Spectral Shield, Prowler, Rider, etc.? So I think that a lot of these are... You, you talked about Blessing of Spirits a bit, and I think that that's interesting in terms of the rate, right? Because those Spectral Shields can't stick around. Um, some of the stuff that is conditional, like Spectral Prowler, uh, Spectral Procession, I think Spectral Procession is going to be more of a setup card. I don't know if this card is just going to be good as a slot in. Um, that's the one that gets attack equal to the number of Spectral Shields you control. That sounds qu- that's quite narrow, to be honest. It's also red. Uh, but Spectral Prowler, I played this in the Blitz deck that I played, and Man, it it's, it can be good, uh, but I think if you're playing against aggressive decks and you're not able to sort of keep your, your Spectral Shields around, they can have a massive downside, right? Zero for three with no go again that has Phantasm. Um, so I think that you need to be playing against a deck that is going to allow you to relieve enough pressure to keep your Spectral Shields available mm-hmm. or... Yeah, it's it's tough because like let's say you don't have a spectral shield, but you do have cards in soul because you are playing against like a rune blade or something like that. Something that's more aggressive but has doesn't have a lot of poppers. It's a lot of resources to potentially and it's a quite taxing on your soul to be banishing, creating a spectral shield, and then using that as a condition to play these cards just kind of at rate. Um so I think they're cool, but it's a different archetype of uh, of of prism, to be yeah. honest, of illusionist. I was gonna say hear, hear me out. 
<laughs> Probably Prism and Blitz, but maybe Dramai. Maybe Dramai. Hear me out. This is the archetype I'm thinking of. Like, if you wanted to go down this avenue and explore this, this is what I, I would recommend starting to look at is, is this really defensive, like, spectral shield build with iris of reality i think that's iris of reality yeah that's probably where i would look to start with if you're trying to do something with this and want to do something a bit funky it's cards like blessing of spirits it's some of these ward cards you can use some of these ward cards to help you get out spectral shields early and then take over the game with some of these cards and actually it's it'll always be like a slow burn you start with like maybe the first five six turns you're really just trying to grind set up be defensive get a few shields on the board and then you're playing a high blue count all of a sudden you just like hit it with like couple of attacks with two shields something like a, a procession or a prowler or rider or whatever it is i i think that's that is actually to be honest interesting is it good don't know so i tried to build a spectral reality uh, specter reality um prism deck back when the everfest came out because yeah i mean spectral shields are cool for iris of reality but you know what's cooler is these these blue these the blue auras that just sit on the board forever because they <laughs> your opponent can't get around to killing them and um you know sometimes they have abilities you can kind of ignore it they're very very sticky weapons so like your iris of reality which used to be 100 percent dependent on you having spectral shields was now sort of more reliable if with these blue auras right and you potentially double oring per turn um but that deck didn't quite make it <laughs> because luminaris was so freaking busted it's just like that was always just better so more additions to the iris of reality the iris of reality build of uh, of prism great and very very could be what pushes it over the edge but i do think illuminaris is just a freaking busted car what if they just banned luminaris we, we have to we have to move on we're gonna get to ninja but what if they yeah. just banned luminaris that's interesting also i want to point out someone did 3-0 with young iris prism at new zealand nationals in the class constructed um so it's a thing let's move on ninja basically first question i have because all the cards in ninja are the same theme you know with illusionist with runeblade with guardian they all there's a couple of split themes all of the cards, Katsu, sorry, they're not Katsu cards, all of the ninja cards, uh, a yeah, bit of a Freudian slip there, all of the ninja cards are Crouching Tiger cards. So you've had a bit of a chance to play around with some of this. What do you think of Dynasty, Crouching Tiger theme? How good is it? And we can dive into some of the cards after that. That's fine. Um, I didn't like like best Blessing of Key, which is a sort of a set of cards. So I was going to read that one out because it's a bit... It's a bit different. Um, it's a one cost, three defense, and it says, at the start of your turn, destroy Blessing of Key, then create a Crashing Tiger token in your banish zone. It gains plus three. You may play it this turn. Um, so this is an aura that you set up on a previous turn. That card I did not like, but overall, the Crashing Tiger theme and all these cards that go along with it, whether it's Predatory Streak or the payoffs in the form of Key Unleashed, I do think that they are... It's viable for Katsu, and I think it can be quite good with Mask of the Pouncing Lynx. When I was playing that deck, when I was playing this deck, the Crouching Tiger deck, I was playing it in Budget Blitz without a headpiece, so I was playing um, Hope Merchant's Hood, in which it was not as good, but I think that playing out these Crouching Tigers and getting a lot of hit triggers um, to facilitate something like Mask of the Pouncing Lynx and grabbing Salt Wound, that seems like the use case to me uh let me know if you think any different but that seems like the payoff like that that's what you want to be doing if you're adding these kind of cards mm -hmm. into your deck one thing to keep in mind is a lot of them are quite cheap they do cost zero so they do facilitate this more low to the ground uh yeah. uh kind of katsu build so crushing tigers in general i think it's super cool i think it's really really cool i love that we've seen this now in flesh and blood this thing that a car that basically it's made and then ceases to exist that isn't a token you can actually put this in your deck would not recommend it but you know these cards that's 
become and then cease to exist. And it's, it's, it's quite a cool idea, I think. The, the power level of it, I think there's a couple of things you can do. So you can either build around this entirely and you can look at these really big kind of setup plans with like Roar of the Tiger. I think that card is one of the most powerful things you can be doing with say like you get a Roar of the Tiger yeah. out of War Turn or Double Roar of the Tiger or something like you, you can be off running with maybe like a, a predatory streak. Um, the combo aspect of like key or chi, I guess depends if it's Chinese or Japanese, right? I, I, um, I, think, it, I think it might be chi, right? I think it might be, anyway. The combo aspect of that is, is quite interesting, but I think whether you want to build around it, I think it's going to be a bit clunky and I think you're not going to have the power output that you need to because the, the spike turns are really good. Don't get me wrong. Like you hit out of all, you hit Roaring Tiger, you have Mask of, you guaranteed draw off Mask of Momentum. To be honest, I'd be playing Pouncing Links and getting Salt Wound, like you say, every single time. Like that's what yeah, I'm yeah. looking to do is just really big combo turn. But what I'm more interested in, I think, is a more sort of just aggressive ninja deck, head jabs, 100 win lines, and then have the good Zero sort cost, of yeah. yeah the good crouching tiger piece in there where you can pop off it's like it's almost like a fire pop off turn and then the question i guess becomes is like is it a katsu thing or is it a is it a fire thing obviously you talked about blessing so that has combo you can go and uh, that's not the one with combo what's the one with combo uh, uh key unleash oh i mean oh, there's like there's a couple of them yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so there is tiger swipe tiger swipes the other one i was thinking of so mm. it feels like it fits more naturally into cards but, but maybe it could fit into an aggressive fire shell that doesn't worry about draconic as much so yeah there's a few different avenues you can take how good is it it's pretty scary when it comes off like when they have that art of war roar of the tiger like roar of the tiger on those turns can effectively be like a mini art of war except it, you know you don't get the buff on your non Crushing Tigers, but it does cost you zero, so some trade-off there. Yeah, I don't see myself playing Predatory Streak in a Fire deck. Um, Bit of a trap, maybe, why. that one. Yeah, it, that one, yeah that, that one seems significant to me. I do like the aspect of being able to tutor up some of the cards, especially Tiger's Wipe. That seems like the one you want to be tutoring up. Uh, in Katsu, rather than Fi, I'd rather it not be yeah. like, oh, I just need to kind of find this card okay. to get my big payoff. Tutor um, it up. Yeah, tutor it up for sure. So I don't see this immediately slotting into the the, the Fi deck that we all know and love at this point that just runs over a lot of tournaments. But uh, it is it is fundamentally powerful, which I think is important. I think it, that that that's that's cool, right? Ninjas, yeah. or at least Katsu's gotten the short end of the stick for quite a long time now, and this does feel like an expansion to to Katsu in particular. I do want to quickly talk about. Uh, Lava Burst V2 here, or as Blazing Yori as it's known. The defensive Lava Burst. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the defensive Lava Burst, the sideboard, the sideboard card that will pretty much make most ninja decks, depending on the meta, which is, if it's in this meta, this is definitely going in your ninja deck. The mirrors, Yeah, right? defends. Yep, for mirrors, uh, just blocks a Lava Burst, right? It's a blocks for five. It's close to carrying husk value. Um, so, yeah, that's, it's, if you're looking for a ninja card to pick up that you almost absolutely need, I think this is it. I think Blazing Yori is a card that will absolutely be played, especially when there's a bunch of fires running around. Yeah. The last thing I'd say is if you are looking at, I agree, I would look at Katsu as the Crouching Tiger deck, and the way I would start is I would probably start all in, to be honest, and just work out what are the lines that are the most explosive? What are the lines that are most exciting? Do I actually, Flex Claws, for instance, like it's a, it's a leg tap with the Crouching Tiger upside. So if you are looking to play some amount of crouching tiger pieces like that's that's a card i'm definitely looking at with roar of the tiger etc but i would probably start all in and then start to move into more like head jabs and other cards to line up and and see kind of where the balance like if i treat it as a sliding scale one end is like full crouching tiger degeneracy like i'm into it and then the other end is just like traditional katsu aggro deck like where am i going to be on that spectrum i think you want to find your slot 
Yeah, my biggest question is whether is this uh, this pouncing key just like kind of immediately slot into the Fi deck, right? Just as another head jab. Yeah, I mean it doesn't have go again if you don't have a crushing tiger though. I think there's oh, I didn't. Yeah, I forgot that it was. A, it's all it was combo based. That one. Yeah, yeah. Never mind. It's freaking trash. You heard it. I here think it first. might be the worst one. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> anyway, all right. We're gonna move on to the newest class in flesh and blood. We're gonna talk about assassin because. I wanted to leave this till last. I wanted to try and get some games in last week and find out what I actually think. There's so much discourse around this year. It's trash. It's it's <laughs> slightly playable. It's super interesting, but maybe it doesn't have enough support. There's so much discussion. It, the card is the, the deck is like tier 1.5. It's almost close to being one of the best decks. Like there's a lot of different discussions. So the I think the first thing I want to talk about is just Arachne itself and this hero ability. I think it's super cool to have this kind of fate seal ability, as people who play mm-hmm. Magic would call it, this ability to Look at that top card, set up for contract, but also mess with what your opponent's trying to do, especially when your opponent is looking for specific cards in certain matchups. You know, you're, de- you're playing into a Rhino who wants to find Blood Rush Bellows, all of a sudden you tuck a Blood Rush Bellows. Like, that is that is a big chunk of effective life you're going to gain from that hero ability. So I think Arachne itself is a really interesting hero ability, and then, of course, get into actually what Assassin cards are. But let's start with the weapons, Brennan, because yeah, these, these have surprised these me. Yeah, these are spiders, but has surprised me a lot this it felt like when i first looked at it, i was like oh, it's like kadachi light right two for a one attack with go again it feels like a, a kind of a bad kadachi but the way this works in with a lot of the cost structure of assassin is, is really cool i think you i think you probably want to play quite a high blue count at least coming in with one spider's bite per turn is gonna if they don't defend it they're immediately committing to now finding it really difficult to defend your on hit effect because you hit the piercing, uh, sorry, you come in, it has piercing itself, so it's hard to block out the equipment, and then it gives minus one to attack actions defending. Now all of a sudden you come in with a, a one for five or a zero for four afterwards, and it's like, okay, well, now I have to use two cards minimum, and it, it starts to get, and not even equipment, like two cards from hand or a, two cards plus an equipment if it's a one for five. Now you're starting to get really difficult with how you defend these, these on-hit effects, and that's if you... Depending on the makeup of the deck, right? Obviously, you're going to run some decks where it's like Wizard, and they're like, okay, I mean, I don't care. I run all non-attack actions. Yeah. But Spider's Bite has definitely overperformed so far in my experience, and the piercing text on it is not irrelevant either. The cost structure, how it works yes. in with Assassin, super interesting. And sometimes you just have like three-card hand or four-card hand, two blues, come in with a double Spider's Bite, which then gives them another minus one, and then come in with the attack afterwards. Yeah, I've been on the other side of these weapons, and they are super annoying. <laughs> if you're playing something like Brute, I was like, "Oh my god!" <laughs> yeah, Hayden, Hayden was absolutely piece taking, you know, piecing me apart with these these weapons the other day when I was on Brute. Um, but it's just it's just so awkward, like you said, like it, it just kind of fits with exactly what you're already trying to do. You come with the uh, with the spider's bite, then the one for far, one for five, and it's just if you let that spider's bite hit um you are priced into defending with two cards to defend the next attack which is a lot yep yeah who would have thought the design of the weapon just fits really well with what the hero is trying to do in the cards let's talk a bit You'd about be surprised in flesh and blood actually <laughs> yeah it looks like there's some good design let's talk a bit about the equipment because this is probably i think the ones people will be most excited about black tech whisperers legendary surface level looks super super powerful you know it's like valiant dynamo meets snapdragon scalers like that's that's kind of what it looks like on the surface in reality, it's it's a lot harder to pull together, I think. I haven't played as much Class Constructor. I've mostly played so far in Blitz, where I think I've returned it maybe once or twice. It does require you to destroy these silvers. But if you can do this a couple of times over the course of a game, it's going to stop you from 
It's going to be able to stop on hit effects from your opponent. It's going to be able to allow you to push a couple of really big contract turns, you know, two or three contract attacks that are going to net you a lot of silver. And when you can roll that, like there's this kind of tempo thing that Arachne can do if you gain tempo, you can just start to like stack up silver, continue to return your black tick whispers. Now that is really hard and your opponent can break the tempo, but if you do that across three turns, all of a sudden you can get a pretty good lead in the game and really force your opponent. And also, mind you're missing with the top of their deck as well, which is really relevant. So uh, Black Tech Whispers, I think, is powerful. And I mean, that's kind of all I have to say. Like, the card is good. How many times do you have to activate it for it to be great? To be great? Twice. Okay. Well, well if you, you know, get it's not too much to ask. And see, two, see. two Iron Rock Boots and two Snapdragon Scalers out of it. It's pretty good. Obviously, it's not quite, it's more like Refraction Bolters, but um, <laughs> just a quick chat to Suri there to turn some lights on. Brendan, I love the last few pods we've done. It's like the time, we've switched times because of Daylight Savings and stuff. It just gets progressively darker, but it fades into the darkness as we as we get closer to talking about Assassin. Um, and then you see me mute my mic and say something, and then the light pops on. Yeah. So Black Tick Whisper is very good. I think it's one of the reasons you want to play Arachne right now, because the problem I have with Arachne is just the, the card pool is obviously really small. There's only so many things you can do. So if I was to look at how I would build Arachne right now, I think you can play this more like mid-range value orientated with you play a bit more generics, you play defense reactions, zero for four defense reactions, you play command and conquers, e-strikes, etc. Like I think that's the kind of build, that's the similar build I played in Blitz. That's the kind of build I'd be looking at at the moment. I think trying to play an aggressive build, your your on hits are good, but they're, what they're trying to do is disrupt your opponent. They're not going to gain you extra value. So being aggressive, I think is, you're just going to lose other like aggressive deck. Trap. Yeah, when all of your cards block for three and you have a weapons, like these these weapons that look like, they're kind of like spider bites, it feels like the thing you want to be doing is be either going to be a defensive deck that's playing towards some sort of end game or you're just a mid-range deck, right? Like this is this feels like the, the true iteration of what Katsu Control was mm. back in the day, right? Yeah, it feels a bit more mid-rangey to me. Like, you're, you're trying to grind out. Like, put it this way. The longer the game goes, the more value you're going to get out of cards like Spider Spy out of Black Tick Whisperers, Mask of Perdition, if that's what you want to play in that matchup. Um, I think a lot of time you're going to be choosing between that and something like Crown of Providence, depending on the matchup. Uh, but, like, your your power cards are good. Cards like Surgical Extraction. Like, that card is powerful. You know, like, you do get to <laughs> take a card from your opponent's uh, hand as well. Like, that is effectively... It's a two for four, but you are representing taking a card from your opponent's hand. And if you're hitting that on a you know, first chain and then you're contracting, you could be pulling apart the hand, eradicate, you know, milling a lot of the top of the cards and hitting multiple contract effects on the turn. That That's really good. Yeah. And I just want to say, because we've already done our lore section for this this uh, this week's episode, can we get into our finance section with uh, surgical extraction? I don't know what's going on, to be honest. You're asking the wrong person. Yeah. It, it looks like, it doesn't look like anything short printed. It just looks like, there was some discourse. Some people took advantage of that with buyouts and people want to play Arachne because it's Assassin's newest class in the game. So there is, you look at the average price of Majestics, I think they are above a lot of the other classes and it makes sense. People want to play this and get their hands on it. So I think it's going to go down. If you can take wait, me, wait. Take me 10,000 feet, Hayden. Do you, is, is Arachne something you could see yourself playing in the upcoming ProQuest season? Do you think that it's, it's competitive do you think it's figured out do you think it's potentially solved or like what is like what's your sort of high level view the hero right now question. definitely not solved but even if it gets solved i would say probably not because i think getting solved means it's just going to be a solid deck i i can't see this being we don't really talk about tier list right it's not really our thing but we just look at the meta and the meta is always dynamic and shifting but i can't see this being 
quote unquote tier one. I can see this being a meta pick that runs really well into specific decks and the way you, it reminds me a little bit of like why you would run Lexi in previous formats. It's like, okay, I want to target a certain thing. I want to play Ice Lexi. It's like, yeah, I want to play Arachne because of X, Y, Z. But the, the card pool's shallow. The um, hero ability really requires you to know a lot about what's happening in the meta you're playing into, I think. So mm. personally, I can't see myself playing the ProQuest season. Uh, although I've played Levy on a ProQuest before, so maybe. But <laughs> but I think from where we are right now, I think until we get a bit more support further down the line, yeah, I think it's a bit less. We could... Very well have the next drops will set though have it the assassin class in it like i wouldn't be surprised right and all of a sudden it's like okay we get a lot more support it's a talented assassin maybe i would not be surprised yeah as well i wouldn't be surprised at all anything else you want to say on assassin to end oh, i have a question for you is regicide ever going to be relevant <laughs> i was going to ask you that question oh damn um, okay well, i can answer if you like yeah i think the answer is no but uh it's probably not probably not depends how good crown of Oh my Dominion. goodness, what is it called? Dominia is... is well, I think the Emperor's Dominion? pretty reasonable blitz. So, you know... Dude, you can't play. say that. I said the Emperor is trash. You gotta I'm, side with me. No, I've gotta go against you. That's how this <laughs> dynamic works between us. Do you know... 85 episodes in, I think everyone knows that. Uh, that's why we always race good? to try and the, grab the ground first. Good? Is the Emperor good in blitz? Can it be Icelander? I don't know. But I think it's pretty, pretty, pretty powerful. Like... Put it, put it this way, right? Yeah, you start on 15 life. That, I think that's for a reason. You get access to mm-hmm. being able to do a lot of, like, go-to warrior stuff. You, know, you can play, like, Iron Song Response in your deck. You can play um, Jubil. And then all of a sudden, you're like, okay, here's some reach with some burn at the end. Like, the, I think it is. But we'll, we'll see. Um, only thing I want to talk about it just quickly with Assassin to end off is, like, one of the power pieces of Assassin as well is the reaction phase. You get to play a deck that plays back into the reaction phase, similar to how Dorinthia has played in the past. Mm-hmm shred sure. cut to the chase you play probably razor reflex in these decks that's powerful there's some cool stuff you can do there it's going to allow you to have these spike turns and if you can multiple contract turns it's good you know especially if you're getting some altered effects like a you know taking one of the cards from the surgical extraction banishing a bunch of cards with eradicate like there is there is stuff there's a reason eradicate's yellow if you get to second cycle in some magical christmas land like eradicate's going to do some freaking work for you yeah yeah, yeah, I've heard of some magical Christmas lands with that. I'm, I'm interested in digging into the deck myself. Um, I do think that I might be playing Wizard because <laughs> I'm a casual now. Um, and Wizard's freaking awesome. Uh, in the yeah. in the upcoming Pro Quest season, Hayden, is there anything you want to say? Because I do have sort of a somewhat closing question for you here about Dynasty. Oh, I have a non-Dynasty related question for you actually. So why don't you go first? I don't, I don't have much to say other than see, it looks really cool. If I was to wrap up dynasty a little bit with uh you know i think i've talked about this already i'd probably give this like an 8.59 i think this set is really 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 cool i think the question the big question i have and I, i'm not going to ask this to you Brent, it's just the question i have i'm going to throw it out there to to the listeners and i'd love to hear what your thoughts are is dynasty enough to shake up the kind of the established meta we have with things like icelander ultim raya fi like is that is it are we going to see changes is you know is brute on the table is katsu crushing tiger on the table is assessing actually going to have an impact um you know all these questions are more like what are your thoughts leave them for us in the comments let us know what you think not my question for you brennan hit your question then i've got a question for you and while you're galvanting down there in the comments go ahead and hit us with a like and subscribe on youtube no, okay. <laughs> nice <laughs> sorry uh, yeah. oh, i i kind of blacked out there for a second i'm back um <laughs> i just want to ask you you can totally be as biased as biased as possible here um what who which class do you think is the biggest winner from dynasty and what are you the most excited about um go 
Yeah, so this would probably fall into this question. I think Mech's the biggest winner from from Dynasty. I think Hanabi Blaster is really, really powerful. I think it almost mm. has this insurance of being able to help you stop the fatigue problems that Dash Boost Dash has had in the past. Uh, plus, just Hyperdrive. I've always really liked Hyperdriver, and now to have cards like Crankshaft and Jumpstart that make that card a lot more viable. Like I thought Hyperdrive was almost playable before in Boost Dash, and I was playing it in Blitz Boost Dash even. Now it's actually super relevant. So I think it's Mech um was that that was your question right which was class yeah yeah i, I, yeah. I could be biased I think to say brute two, like brute gets yeah. some upgrades but also it was like what were you most excited for so it could be the one that i guess didn't get the biggest win right yeah the, the one i'm most excited for is probably ranger to be honest okay sandscale great right. bow and aim counters are, i think are really really cool i think that's i think think azalea was playable before and now i think yeah. azalea is like more playable is it gonna be winning pro quest Probably not, but is it going to win some ProQuest? Yeah, it'd probably win one or two. Yeah, uh, I'll interpret that as S tier. Um, yeah, for me, it's it's uh, it obviously very biased, very biased, and there's not a lot of entertainment value with this answer. But it's Wizard. Like Wizard did get, I mean, Kano got a lot of tools here, a lot to lot to work with. Um, we talked about sort of the additional archetypes in Kano, um, but honestly, this set could have came out with just Swell Tidings, and I would have been a happy camper. <laughs> like, it doesn't take a lot for me. I'm used to being pretty abused by Legend Story Studios when it comes to playing Kano and oh, that being my go. favorite hero. Yeah, but uh, this is this is, this is is a great set. This is a great set for Wizard. The zero for, zero for threes, zero for one at blue, really, really good, um, especially in the decks that we like to play. So I'm really excited. I don't think I'll be brainstorm comboing people. Uh, did a little bit of mental, a little mental run through with that uh, with Sasha the other day and uh, couldn't crack it in the in the five minutes we dedicated to it. But uh, yeah, Glad I'm Sasha really happy there. with the stuff that Kano got. It's exciting. Yep. I Look, I think if you go back and listen to our Everfest episode and you listen to these two episodes, there's a bit of a, a tonal change in the way we've talked about the set and uh, and now we're going to talk about potion of oh god yeah yeah there's a reason we skipped over most of the generics in that set look uh, yeah really happy with uprising really excited to get in and play it both blitz and classic constructed i'm looking a lot more forward to classic constructed i'm actually like i said i'm I'm wanting to play some armories like this month and next month because i want to play with this set. i haven't really felt like that as much outside of competitive play but i i really want to just be playing dynasty so that's cool uh, i did have a question for you i'm actually going to defer that question because i think we're probably going to talk about organized play in a future episode once we get more information about what's happening in early 2023 and that's a question for then so i'm going to go ahead and sign it off but first brendan fitness challenge just give the, the the quick spiel on how you can get involved with the marathon yeah so it's on february 19th in austin texas highly highly recommend you get involved we'll have a bunch of other content creators coming on over the weeks it's this is a, we're giving you a lot of notice right now it's a marathon it's it's hard to do there's also a half marathon 5k available but these are things that you have to you have to train for and you have to work for um so that's why we're giving you so much notice and we haven't really ramped up you know all the giveaways and the sponsors and the other content right? that's all coming but if you're interested in going get to work now and make sure you're prepared to come do whatever you want to do it's it's a chance to meet us all in person right and do one of these things together the fab fitness challenge the first time around was a great event we had tons of interaction on twitter well just this is this is the same thing essentially but now we get to meet in person and have a good time on the weekend so check it out february 19th austin marathon um hope to see you there and yeah that's it for me cool. gonna sign off you can find us on twitter at brendan apg at fian underscore dale uh if you are on youtube please do drop a like and a comment let us know what you think about dynasty i'd love to hear your thoughts on the question i pose which is 
is Dynasty going to shake up this, or is it maybe maybe me and Brennan are a little bit overzealous? Let us know your thoughts. Uh, <laughs> we do also have some new videos that have gone up on the YouTube channel, and we do have this gameplay series that is over on FabTCG.com and their YouTube channel. Go check it out. Go throw us a support there if you don't mind. Uh, we really appreciate it. And just want to give a big shout out to everyone who got us over the 5k subs. I think we're at like 5.1k on YouTube subs now. We're closing in on it. So the, the support's been, you know, we just massive thank you. Yeah, I think that's because everybody's heard about this upcoming wizard video that uh, Mr. Hayden Dale was supposed to put out. I've been waiting for it. Where is it, Hayden? Yeah, I will be doing more content coming as we head towards the end of the year. <laughs> just getting back from Worlds has been very, very busy. But we, you know, I, I, I will be putting some stuff up for sure. All right, Brendan. Until next time. We'll see everyone in the next episode.